Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Silicon Valley in a Box with my friend Mike Zayance. Mike is a partner at Plug and Play, venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley. I met Mike at Manifest, the future of logistics, and I actually had dinner with him, and I was like really trying to figure out what the heck is Plug and Play, because it doesn't sound like a VC firm, but that's what they are, but they're so much more. The guys at Plug and Play take a very different approach to venture capital. They are really trying to replicate the Silicon Valley magic that has worked so well for so many companies over the years. Whether you're working with them in Northwest Arkansas or working with them in Toronto, they're going to try and bring that experience. And that experience is much more than money. It's uh, the networking. It's the accelerators they run. It's the relationships that they have with industry leaders. It is a really fantastic story. And Mike Zayance is a fantastic guest. So how's it going, Mike? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to have you on the show. So Mike, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, I'm coming from Sunnyvale, California, in the middle of Silicon Valley, next to all the big tech companies here, like Apple and Facebook and Google, et cetera. And uh, I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. So what's your name of your company? So the name of our company is Plug and Play. We are one of the largest startup accelerators in the world. And we're also one of the most active early stage venture capital firms. So we make upwards of 200 investments a year into startup companies across every industry sector. And and yeah, we try and help startups grow and connect them to the large corporates. I met you at Manifest and I thought it was very, in fact, you, you bought us dinner. Thank you so much. So I really like what you guys are doing at Plug and Play. And again, I think the name is interesting too. So when did you join Plug and Play? Yeah. So I've been at Plug and Play for almost eight years now. So even though I don't look like it, I'm actually one of the senior members at Plug and Play. And I I was able to join the company pretty early. So uh, we had 20 people when I started in the company. Today, we have about 750 employees around the world. Whoa. And so again, you guys are uh, have an interesting model at Plug and Play. Can you describe that a little more detail for me? Yeah, so it's a really interesting business model. We're able to kind of help out everyone when it comes to the innovation landscape. We are able to work with the largest corporations in the world and we're able to connect them. Well, they don't need venture capital money. They don't need venture capital money, but they do need the smart technology companies and they need to be able to benefit from and utilize these new technologies because when you're in a large corporation oftentimes things move a lot slower right so they want to be able to connect to like a fast-moving startup with a really cool idea that's growing fast and and figure out how there could be a partnership together so they actually i feel like need us and and want to work with us more than than anyone these these massive corporations so so if you're a big company and you need to innovate and you say well we probably could innovate, but we are so busy kind of executing our business plan. Innovation isn't our main job, but they have resources so they can invest yeah. in a smaller company. But how do they find that smaller company? You go to plug and play and they say, we'll find that guy for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we can outsource a lot of those efforts because for them, it's really hard to find these successful startups, cool ideas, entrepreneurs, and 
And oftentimes they do do it themselves. Like they have now have these like innovation departments and digital departments. And I mean, we actually partner with a lot of them because we can just kind of augment their ability to find startup companies and, and really connect them to the broader ecosystem of corporations and startups. Yeah. And for the smaller companies, they say, I would love to do blank, except I don't have enough money and I don't know if this is even a viable thing for that. So I think it'd be a great thing for the large steamship companies, but I don't know any large steamship companies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so they want to talk to these massive companies and it's really hard for them to work with these large corporations, like to work with like Walmart or Ford or any any large corporate. It doesn't happen overnight. So it's it's great for them to have those conversations and try to maybe get a pilot or long-term maybe get an investment, but that that obviously happens normally later down the road. But we definitely want to be able to make those connections to the entrepreneurs because they have a yeah a great idea and, and they want to go to market. And, and when they do want to go to go to the market and get exposure to, to big players or they find the product market fit where they know which industry they're selling to, which, which use case they have, that's when they, we can really help them because they can connect to a bunch of the big corporates. And you guys invest alongside these big players, uh, or sometimes they don't invest, but they're just providing guidance, but I'm assuming they normally invest? Yeah, no, normally it, it really depends on the stage of the company. So if it's a really early stage company, we would be more likely to in, write one of the first checks into the business. And the corporate, sometimes they invest really early stage, but normally when it gets to like series A, B, C, then the corporates will come in and and maybe do a, an investment as well. But but normally like the biggest value is just, they actually want to have these corporates as a customer. Like they could leverage like, let's say like Ford or Walmart or DHL or, or name any 3PL or logistics By the way, I, I, when we, I met you at Manifest, by the way, and great, great conference. I yeah. interviewed Gary Allen from Ryder while I was there. Yeah, we know Gary really well. He's one of our partners. Uh, right. And well. I think he said that the, his, he's like vice president of engineering for their warehousing area. Yeah. I think engineering slash innovation. And I think he said, I'm probably going to miss the mess up the dates. Over the last 18 months, they had evaluated 250 different innovations that they were bringing in to their massive warehousing space. So I think they have hundreds of locations, warehouses now. And again, you don't think of Ryder this way, but they do a lot of e-commerce now. Um, I'm in I'm in Detroit for a long time. Ryder was half their business was just automotive. Now they're into a lot of things. But I don't think 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, we would have had a vice president of engineering who was looking and evaluating innovations. It would be like, we're running a warehouse. What are you talking about? Yeah. What, what do I need? What innovation? We got a warehouse management system. We got some forklifts. What, what else do we need? <laughs> no, it's true. And But now all these massive companies are realizing that they have their core business, but technology can augment what they're doing. So yeah, we've, we've worked with Gary and Ryder actually for many years. They're one of our, our long-term partners in the supply chain program. And they have actually acquired a startup. They they it was in one of our programs called Baton. They oh I even I've interviewed Eric Malin from there. Oh nice times. okay cool yeah yeah but we yeah we connect them to a lot of those startups. I think they bought Whiplash too right? They yeah they're 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 doing a lot more uh, and and they're doing a lot of testing of the actual technologies like looking how they can 
automate inside the warehouses or how they could leverage truck trucks and different they have the coop marketplace as well that they built which is super cool and we've actually invested in some uh, competitors to coop um, as well like we just did a one in Col- called colonia which is in in europe so so yeah there, we have a lot of interesting companies I got to tell you, I spent my early career in product development, automotive product development. And when it used to take four years to develop a car, and I guess if you're doing it from scratch, it still would. But now we're more likely to keep the same chassis and use it multiple places. But for probably a year or so, I got involved in um, the product development process. How do we get go from 48 months to 18 months? And then how do we go to 12 months? And one of the things we came to the conclusion of is we always have new innovations going into the next car. But the problem is we are developing the innovation on the same timeline as the car, except innovation doesn't move in a predictable timeline, right? So yeah. It's not like that, you know, you ever see the, the meme where it's like miracle happens here. <laughs> you don't know when the miracle is going to happen. So I think most of these large companies say, let us do what we do best. Let us execute our business plan. Let us be super efficient, super effective. And we can test these things out and then do a pilot. Exactly. And when it's ready for prime time, we'll make the investment and we will use it across the board. Exactly. And that's exactly how we work with the entrepreneurs and the corporates. It's like to acquire a startup, it, it's really a long-term thing that rarely happens, like less than 1% of the time. of the time, long-term, they might make an investment, but normally that happens at the later stages. But the first big goal we have is just connecting these entrepreneurs to the uh, corporations so they can pilot their technology and then see if it works. And if it, it works, then they can roll it out use it in more sites, for example, depending on the technology and, and yeah, roll it across to different geographies potentially as well. So it, you can really scale at that point. Yep. I love it. So Mike, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you join Plug and Play. Yeah, definitely. So I, I grew up in Canada, as we talked before about my accent, but, and then I moved to Silicon Valley eight years ago. But, but you're on the West Coast, right? You're in British Columbia? Yeah, so I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in in North Vancouver. So uh, right on the West Coast, very beautiful city in in Vancouver. We talked about Whistler being nearby, mountains and and the ocean. So it's a really great place to to kind of live. You don't appreciate it when you're a kid growing up there. But I think also what's interesting to me is Vancouver is almost like a city state. It's connected more to Asia than it is to the rest of Canada. It's true. Yeah. There's this huge influx. Like people always talk about the real estate market that exploded. There's an influx of people from Asia that bought a ton of real estate there as well. I don't think I've heard it lately, but I remember for a time when Hong Kong reverted back to China, there was a lot of people from Hong Kong moved to Vancouver and people were calling Vancouver Hong Coover. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprised. Obviously being on the West Coast, it is... You know, we, we if you're in the United States, we think of L.A., Long Beach, we think of Seattle, Portland, but we don't think a little further up the coast is is um, Vancouver. And yeah. again, the, the trade is so connected to Asia, which again is an important part of what what we've done here in North America is connect ourselves not only to Europe but also to Asia and increasingly Latin America. Definitely, and Vancouver is also the largest port in. Uh, in Canada. So they have the a lot of the trade coming through there and 
definitely a major hub from from Asia uh, for sure for for logistics, which obviously is the industry that we're we're in these days. And and then yeah, a bit more of my background. I grew up as a basketball player. I got a scholarship at UBC. What is that? University of British Columbia. Some people actually joked when I was there, University of a billion Chinese.、Um, <laughs> so we had a lot of people from Asia there as well. <laughs> But yeah, we—it's a massive university and a good school. I, I played basketball all throughout college, and then kind of figured out after college. You know like, that's you know that's during hockey season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it's it, every, everyone likes hockey in in Canada, but there are some people that play basketball, and there's actually a well, you're lot. You're tall, of great, so you, I don't blame you. Well, well, Steve Nash came from British Columbia too, so he was. Two-time MVP. In oh、NBA. yeah! Oh yeah! He's fantastic. So there's there's a lot of amazing Canadian basketball players as well.、Um, I actually played against Kelly Olynyk previously, who's in the NBA, and and nice.、Uh, that was that was cool. And and my actually my rival high school,、uh, we played against Rob Sacre, who played on the Lakers. He was like the guy doing all the crazy. Dances and cheering on the Lakers,、uh, and then he went to play overseas in Japan. So yeah, we we do have some good Canadian basketball players.、Too. By the way, one of my friends was just telling me this that the NBA's got to expand because there's not that many starting players in the NBA. So you could be a fantastic player, and one of the best players from University of Michigan lately has been Hunter Dixon, and he's transferring out of Michigan because I don't know, probably because we don't have a great season coming up next year. But they started saying. Might go to the NBA or somewhere else. We seven one, but I guess the games change. Where the big man who can、uh, do the layups and the dunks is less important than the guy who's shooting the threes. But it's interesting.、Um, there's just not that many open roster spots in the NBA, so we're going to have to expand that. Yeah, I think I think the NBA is like one of the hardest leagues to make it to in the world. It is. It's, it's and 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 there's no barrier to entry to basketball either, right? It's like you have a pair of shoes and. You have a ball. You can go play in the park, and it's such a competitive sport. I, I mean, it's so hard to make it. I remember when I was a kid, my dad said, "You're, you're probably going to be about five ten. You're going to play hockey." And by the way, back then, professional hockey players were five ten, six six foot. I remember Marcel Dion. He was like five six. I'm like, oh my god! And not anymore. Now the basketball players are your size. But anyway, I always think when you're an athlete, you learn to grind. Especially when you're going to school, you learn discipline. So, hundred percent. Where'd you go after、um, after school? Yeah, after I realized I wasn't going to make the MBA, I realized like I, I took classes in I, I finance. Work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I took classes in finance and entrepreneurship, and graduated with a business degree. And、uh, yeah, I, I really got excited about entrepreneurship. I thought like there's a, I saw some people in my classes. I remember there's this company called Adventure Bucket List. They got an investment. They they went down to Silicon Valley. They raised 50k actually from Plug and Play. And I got involved in a few small businesses and and started working with a few startups and and eventually got hired. I I was hired by the founder of Plug and Play. He he basically. Hired a number of people from our university, and and、uh, they, were, they got connected to him, and and、uh, he he said, hey, I'll give you an internship, you can join, and and basically we'd get these schools full of internships. So I was a little bit older at the time than the other interns, who were mostly just like people doing internships in between college, and I was someone who was fully graduated, and but yeah, I remember coming down there to Silicon Valley and joining the office and just sitting in there with all the other interns and. 
and realizing like this is so cool like we get to work with leading technology yeah it's it's a really cool model and plug and play was way smaller at the time and then what i what i didn't really i i obviously like everyone knows that technology is going to change the world and and everyone knows that technology is helping th- making things more efficient and there's a huge need and it's such a great industry but i didn't realize like how important it was for the big corporates because all these corporations started actually coming to plug and play like in 2013. So I joined in 2015. So I've been there for about eight years. And in 2013, they built a model around in the retail industry with like Kohl's and Procter and Gamble and Target and these massive retailers would come to plug and play and see if they can test out the technology. What technology do they want to test out? So, so anything. So, in that specific program, it was anything with a holistic view of the retail industry, from the mall operators to the CPGs to the, the omni-channel too. I'm assuming omni-channel technology, e-commerce technology, and uh, plug-and-play started in retail. But then there was a healthcare division, there was a fintech division, and we started to scale to all these new industries because everyone was kind of benefiting from this technology. There was a company called, or like. Uh, actually, as a bit more history on plug and play, in back in the nineties, two thousands, the the founder Said owned a building that actually was the first office space for Google, PayPal, Logitech, and Dane. Wow! <laughs> I mean, so it was a big building, or it, it was a smaller building in Palo Alto, so just a stone's throw away from Stanford University. But if you can imagine those companies just growing in this kind of small office space. It's just like the, it was the hub for technology, right? And then eventually he, when that was successful, he, these companies, he saw them grow. He ended up deciding like, hey, why am I just renting office space to startups? Why don't I try and get equity in a few of them? And he ended up getting uh, equity indirectly inside of Google through an angel syndicate with Ron Conway, the founder of Angel LLP. And then he also made a direct investment in, and took equity in PayPal, uh, making us one of the first investors in, in PayPal. Uh, and uh, obviously, that was an enormous exit when they were acquired by eBay for $1.5 billion. And then he bought the building that I'm normally based in, where the headquarters of Plug and Play is in Sunnyvale. It's a 180,000 square foot building just full of startup companies. Uh, yeah, so so we would basically house this this company, all these startups that would come from around the world. And they would kind of rent office space. At one point before COVID, we had 450 startups there at any given time. It dropped since COVID. Now it's coming back up to the kind of more current level, uh, those those levels again. But yeah, starting in 2013, these corporations would come to plug and play and say, hey, we need to test this technology. So we did that in these different industries. And then I was there for two years, kind of growing, working with corporates and kind of introducing them to, to technology. That was my job in the beginning. Basically being a matchmaker, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're basically the matchmaker. So we're helping the startups connect to the large corporates who need them as customers and to do co-development for their technology and to implement their solutions. And then also with the corporates, connecting them to them because they both want to meet each other. But it's like the hard part is finding like the right fit because it's really hard for the startups because the startups, even if you say like, oh, I have a great solution for Walmart or I have a great solution for DHL or right. FedEx, who are you going to talk to? I mean, like Walmart has over 2 million employees, right? You need to find the right people, the people doing innovation, actually, the right business units. So that's where plug and play would come in because we would find those people that actually want to work with the startup. You might already have a relationship with them. 
Yeah, and we and we would have like relationships specific, and then these corporations have the same problem with the startups. Is like when it comes to entrepreneurs, it's like everyone says they have the best solution and they're gonna change the world with their technology, especially in Silicon Valley. And a lot of people are have great ideas, but it's like you have to find the ones that actually can scale and the ones that are actually gonna be successful. I think to build a startup company, it's and it uh, it's really challenging. Like you have to have really good technical talent you have to have really good engineers but then you have to you, they can't just be engineers and, and tech focused people they also have a, have a business sense as well so we want to find uh, kind of teams that are, are doing both and they have a real product and, and we do a lot of that vetting right because we're an investor in the companies so we would vet them and see if okay are they just making this all up or is are they legit right well, that's what a matchmaker does. It vets both sides and, and makes the introductions that are appropriate. And still, I'm assuming sometimes you're saying, no, 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 you don't want to meet them. You want to meet these guys instead. Yeah, exactly. Or or they say, like nowadays, like someone will come to us and say, we have this technology. We need to automate more in our warehouses. Or we need to, especially nowadays, like we need to leverage generative AI technology. And how can we do that? And we'll say, okay, these are... 10 companies that are doing it. These are, they're getting this traction in this market and we can make recommendations. So as, as the matchmaker, we, we try not to be too biased and, and we're, we're at, we have the luxury that we have over 1800 portfolio companies now. So it's like we have, we've invested and we're, we're writing small checks, hundred K 150 K into a lot of these early stage. But that's startups. a lot of money to somebody who's pre series a, right? Yeah, like a pre-seed or seed stage company, it it's it depends on on this, the company. If it's it's a couple guys in college, like that's a ton of money. If it's a bunch of serial entrepreneurs that already exited a business, it's it's more symbolic. Um, and and a, and oftentimes nowadays, it's like the reason people will want to take an investment from us. And our favorite companies to invest in are the ones they actually don't even need that hundred k because. They actually want to utilize plug and play for these introductions we can make. Like we can connect you to Walmart to, to test out your technology. Or we talked about Ryder as an as another partner. We also work with JB Hunt and a lot of the, the big trucking companies. So right, I'm sure you know um, Charlie Dahoney, my friend over at uh, ZBox. Oh yeah, we we do very similar things, and we we work very closely with him. He's a great a great guy, and he's working with a lot of great entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, and ZBox is backed by what is it, CGM? Yeah, CMA CGM, exactly. Yeah, we we know them really well. A and- big steamship company that realized that innovation is important, but it's not something we can do in our day to day work. We have to take it offline, and maybe it, it means partnering with some small company. And by the way, I got my own Google story. I remember years ago, I worked for a Silicon Valley company. We were developing a software. And it was great software. We were very happy. We were growing quick. There's only like 10, 12 of us, four in Detroit area, eight over in uh, Silicon Valley. And then one day we went out and celebrated. We got like a million dollar deal, which is a big deal. And then the next day there was a board meeting and I, I somebody called me and said, hey, I, I think they're closing the company. I go, we just went out and celebrated. We got a million dollar deal. I mean, we're, we're probably on, we're on track. We're killing it here, right? And they go, yeah, but there's this company we were our investor, lead investor was a Texas Pacific group, and they had a big, big chunk of money in Google. And they said, we don't want to go to your little meetings anymore. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're not going to allocate any more time. You guys are growing as a consulting company. Take it private. We're going to focus on this other. I was like, oh, go ahead. Focus on Google. See what it gets you. <laughs> 
Well, Google, <laughs> Google's pretty big. It's grown a lot since then as well. So it's, it's, it's remarkable. But to your point, with their small companies and there's big companies, and they do need to get together because the big companies have a need and the need they have is we want to understand what technology is out there. And by the way, it could be, I'm just thinking out loud, it could be the killer app that's going to impact our business if we don't get it. So yeah. we want to get we want to find that guy and say let's partner before you hurt us, right? Exactly. And I think we all a generation ago if you were a big company you're like I'm not worried that some little startup is going to pop out of Silicon Valley and hurt me. Now, I think there's a recognition it's happened before. So now I think there's a recognition if you're that big company, let's partner with those little guys and uh maybe make an investment in them. And uh, by the way, I've heard people talk about this with, I think I mentioned their name, like Salesforce. They were in, Salesforce was investing in other CRMs that were specific to other industries. And you go, well, why would they do that? Well, because first off, they have obviously done pretty well. But at some point, if they want to partner or buy or just say, hey, look, we have a large interest in that company, so we don't care if they do really well. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also they, they understand and, and can strategically benefit from what's happening with, with the growth of that company, right? Like if you're in the taxi industry and there's a company called Uber, for example, you invested in, you wish you would have been able to like stay on top of that beforehand or, or leverage some of that technology. And I mean, that's the case in so many different industries now. Yeah, I think I think Ford Motor Company invested in Rivian. I think somebody told me they cashed out of that. But well, well, well uh, they want, one of probably our wanted some of the yeah. tech. <laughs> oh, 100%. And like one of our partners, Mercedes-Benz Daimler, uh, invested in Tesla way back in the day. And the, and the reason the CEO of Daimler said that he invested in in Tesla was because he wanted to give a wake up call to his company and just to obviously and there's obviously seeing what's happening with their technology. So when I, I, I actually work with a lot of large corporates in this way, like Ryder, for example, Ryder Ventures is a partner of ours. We work very closely with them. A lot of these other they call them corporate venture capital arms. So they're like the corporate venture arm of the We didn't the used to have that. <laughs> and and so yeah, they're doing that directly. But like when I work with a traditional investor, like like a high net worth person, generally they want to make a return on their investment. That's their goal. When you work with a corporate investor, that's part of it. But the biggest part that they want is actually the strategic benefits that you get from just understanding what this technology is doing. And and that's how we actually work with a lot of our corporate part LPs, for example, that have invested in our fund and as well as the corporate partners for plug and play. Because they're they're all coming to figure out like What's next? How, how can we benefit from this? Yep. So the smaller guys, I think they're looking for those, that guidance. They're looking. So if a small company comes to you and says, hey, we don't know necessarily who we should be even partnering with, but we, we, need, some, we need some venture capital, but it's more than just venture capital. We need guidance. Will you say, cool, we'll, we'll figure out where there's an application and help them with that? Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll help connect them to a lot of companies cuz I think in the early stages of a company it's all about finding product market fit. So you want to find these large corporates that are actually going to buy your technology and then when you figure that out you want to scale and and do more of it, right? And some of our partners are willing to talk to the startups to to really figure out like help them define their product market fit cuz it's not until you have 
significant revenue and recurring revenue and growth in a market that you in, in a start in a startup you're not really in that growth stage until you you've really hit hit that right and you can you can turn quickly like when when you're a startup company you can some of the best companies we've invested in we invested in really impressive teams of entrepreneurs that came together and they were so convicted that they want to do this but then they re realized for example when we when we invested in Rappi which is one of the first unicorns so companies valued over a billion dollars from Colombia they came to Silicon Valley they had a completely different business model and then they realized like hey this like DoorDash and like kind of like Uber Eats and delivery model in the US is is a great opportunity and they ended up uh, becoming the market leader now in in Latin America so yeah if you're a great entrepreneur you can realize like, okay, I had this idea, it's getting a bit of traction, but then you realize something really hits, that's when you go all in and focus on it. And that's that's what we want to help the early stage startups with. Normally they have a mark, uh, they, they have a, a product that they're selling, but we really want to just connect them to more companies and, and maybe they already have it. They don't have to change anything. They just need to get the exposure. But I mean, that's where a lot of these large potential customers and corporations can can really help them and and that's the big value i think that we provide at plug and play it's like it's hard to meet the right people we can minimize that time because we know like okay like maersk and rider and walmart like these are the people you need to talk to and they trust us because like we've been working with them for you, you're not introducing them to duds either yeah, exactly. If someone otherwise, just, otherwise they won't take your calls anymore. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, otherwise our business model doesn't work. So, and, and they're going to stop paying us to, to see work what I us. what I like about what you're doing, and it reminds me a little bit of Y Combinator. So, when we talk about Y Combinator, I think 99 percent of the companies that go there and apply get rejected. So, when Y Combinator does, you know, when you do graduate from that program, I'm doing air quotes, graduate from that program. You kind of have the good housekeeping stamp of approval, and I think it's kind of the same thing when you're working with plug and play. You have that, okay, that somebody's vouching for these guys. It's not just it's not just some some pesky sales guy calling me and say, "Hey, we want to work with you." It's hundred percent. It's plug and play saying we've we've already vetted this. We're working with them. We already gave a we already wrote a check, and we're planning on writing more. Big difference. And, and it's a big difference. So, and there's two things for our accelerator programs, which are kind of similar to Y Combinator. I think the di big difference is that we are very enterprise focused where Y Combinator helps helps with that, but they also help a lot with raising funds. Like that's the big value. Right. Like they connect all the big firms and all these big investors. And we do help with that too, but, but everyone has their kind of strengths and weaknesses, right? We're, we're amazing at connecting them to large enterprises and, Normally they're they're a little bit further along, but but yeah, it's true. Like we have companies that we've invested in, and and we're not going to write a check in the company unless we really believe ourselves and want to make a return on that, obviously. And then the other part of it is we do bring in a lot of companies that we do not have any skin in the game. For example, where we do not have equity in the company, we just put them in our accelerator programs. But the reason they're being put in the program is because they're handpicked by the corporate partners that we have. So. So one of them is vouching like, okay, this is at least a good idea. And and I mean, if it's just the guy who puts a PowerPoint together and he, he's just pretending that he has a sales team, we're going to filter those type of companies out. So everything ha has some potential progress and 
we're able to kind of filter. So there, there's something there, or at least some potential. And and with the startup, nothing's always perfect. Like you're you're still like a really state early stage company, so you can always poke holes in things. But it's really the goal is to find companies that these corporations can really test and, and benefit from and 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 maybe they can mentor them and say okay like maybe you can pivot in this this way and and we can benefit more together and, and build some sort of long-term partnership together yeah it seems you know we've always heard known venture capital it says venture capital in the name so we've always known it's a little higher risk right yeah. and and so the vc investors always want a big bite but good reason most of the opportunities they invest in don't yield that return they need. So they need that big, big bite. But it seems over time that companies like yours are just taking some of the risk out by saying, look, we're we're very early in the process going to pair them with these small companies with a larger company. And really with the idea, can we grow this or is this a not going to go anywhere? And you'll know sooner rather than later. And you said something else earlier. You said, founding teams. It seems as if founding teams is more and more a thing because if you have that one genius founder and he's working day and night and then burns himself out and then gets a bad attitude and it doesn't want to take a pivot that the rest of his investors want, you can lose him, right? Yeah. And if it's a single guy, you're like, well, that's done because... He's exactly. temperamental and he's gone. When you have a founding team, now I've got a now I've got something a little more stable, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think the team is is the big thing, right? And and you and I are both sports fans as well. Like whether you're a hockey team or a basketball team, it's like you can be the star player or you can and you can score like in basketball, you can score fifty points a game and your team hates you and and doesn't <laughs> right. do much and you lose a lot of the games right and we want to invest in in winning teams that's the most important part because i think and and especially with with these startups because yeah you it's impossible to build a company by yourself you need to build a team regardless and we want to find teams that complement each other like they there's a few good technical founders or there's a really great business person and i mean every team is a, has a different composition but we want to look at that. And that, that I always t- think back to my basketball days. I'm like, okay, like, is there people covering all these positions for, for the company that will make it successful? So Yeah, you've, you've always had that whole, when you hear partners on podcasts now, they say, I was, the, I was the hustler. He was the hacker. And that was kind of, you know, I heard that a lot. But now I hear more and more. And again, I think Baton. Yeah, the, uh, my friend Eric, he's from Michigan, and I've interviewed him a few times. I haven't talked to him in a minute, but um, I met him when he was at Metaphora or was Carrier Direct when he was there, and he's part of a founding team at Baton, and Baton obviously done really well. That's why Ryder uh, got involved. Yeah, with they him, right? got they got acquired, <laughs> right? So no, that's the goal, and that's the goal. The goal for us as an investor is like the big win we see is when. The company obviously raises each funding round. Like, do you raise your next funding round? But in the long term, as a venture capital investor, it's an extremely high risk, high reward asset class. So it's not an investment for the everyday person. It's uh, if, if you're willing to lose all the money as an accredited investor, you can invest in venture capital. But I mean, a lot of the companies are not going to return your money, the startups, uh, 
that, that we're investing in, but some of them are going to be home runs. And obviously our goal is to find those home yeah, runs. Yeah, by the way, I worked I worked at one of those companies that our investor, our VC, had a lot of investments. One of them happened to be Google. One happened to be the little company I was at. Uh, one of them did really well. And the other one, I left. <laughs> and so, so obviously that there are some winners and there's losers. But I think what I'm hearing is... You know, companies like yours, companies like Y Combinator, the VCs that are saying, let us come in and provide guidance. Let us come in and make help you grow this as opposed to just writing a check and saying good luck. And I think also maybe having a bias towards founding teams. So I, what I feel like is you guys are slowly but surely taking some of the risk out because nobody wants that risk. It raises the cost for all of us. No, exactly. And if we invested in every like Y Combinator, was like less than point, like one percent, get accepted yeah. into that. And I mean, we're similar rates as well to get into a plug and play investment. So it's extremely competitive, and it's it's very hard. And most startups, uh, in the reality is they're not going to they're not going to be a big home run in the long run. But I mean, the ones that do, yeah, they could become the Google or the Dropbox. And I mean. That that is going to change people, everyone's life, and change markets. And we're investing in companies that will revolutionize different industries and completely change them. And and that's what we're really looking for. And and I mean, you have to have a great team, you have to have a great market, and uh, yeah, kind of put all those pieces together because it's it's not an easy thing to do. And yeah, we 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 take that risk out a hundred percent. That's our our job is to kind of figure out the ones that have a lot of potential. And I mean, you, we could sit at, at Man of the Manifest conference and every startup is going to tell you they're the best solution. And and honestly, when I was there, I'm, I'm very impressed. Like I was too. There was a lot of great entrepreneurs at that conference and a lot of great ideas. And, 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 and a number of them have been extremely successful from there. So that was a really good conference. By the well. way, while I was walking through Manifest, I'm talking to one company after another that says, I work closely with OneRail. They're one of my sponsors. So I talked to OneRail. We I know was them at the really beer, well, too. Yep. Yeah. I was at the Beer Pavilion. I, lo- I just, just did an interview with them. And they do Last Mile. And I think they do it really well. And then you go from one booth, Last Mile, another booth, Last Mile, another booth. And you start to realize, okay, this is the Wild West a little bit in the, in the Last Mile. And everybody's doing good things. But I, my first thought was, some of these going out of business and we're going to get acquired and this will look very different. The last mile space will look very different. I do think I'm, I'm, I think one rails going to be one of those last man standing. Yeah, they, they've, they've I done don't think everybody well. can be though. You can't have, well, uh, we'll have a lot, but it won't be every other booth like we saw at some of the conferences. No. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a really hot market. And, and uh, we've known Bill, the founder of one rail for many years. And he actually was in our program and, and met a number of these corporations we work with and loved it. Yeah. And by the way, when they were on my podcast last, they talked about working with enterprise companies. So yeah. And I'll just say um, envision a big retailer, national footprint in the past Every location is hiring a last mile guy and they're hiring, hey, I hired Mike and Joe's trucking company and they're doing the last mile for us. And then the, once the next city over is using another onesie twosie, now they're coming and getting the enterprise. And the enterprise says, we're working with 600 companies across the United States. We have no consistency, no systems. And then they go to a company like OneRail and it's like, 
Lock us up, man. Give us your technology. We all love the gig economy. They saved the day during the pandemic. But to be successful long term, you need the team. You need the tech. You need the the, the operator's mentality. <laughs> yeah. When we say team, technology, traction, market, those are some of the big ones. Well, they've already done it over there at OneRail. So. Yeah. Oh, we love them. We and I. The only thing about One Rail is I'm frustrated because we almost invested in them twice and we uh. didn't. So like that's one that I is like we, they got away and they, they've raised. I think ser- the last round was a Series B and I mean they're they doing- just kind of just say Bill Lisa. Let me just remember back in the day. Let me just write a check for that same amount for this. <laughs> yeah. Can we just go back? And, I keep on saying this. Can I get a time machine and go back? And yes, 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 yes. Right? Of course, of course. We'd all be investing in those companies way back then. So I want to wrap this bad boy up. Who is like the sweet spot for you? Now, by the way, I know you guys at Plug and Play have multiple verticals you work in. What verticals do you work in? Yeah. So I started the supply chain program uh, in 2017. From the idea stage, uh, I worked with Saeed kind of to, to build that initial concept. And we grew that now to Silicon Valley, Arkansas, Walmart, Tyson Foods, JB Hunt, and Bentonville, <laughs> Toronto, Canada, Savannah, Georgia. Before you leave Toronto, I just talked to Justin Bailey up there. And when I met him, he was going through Y Combinator. He's over at Rose Rocket. And when he was on my podcast, he said, you know, we, we forget when we talk about technology centers, how important Toronto's become. And he said, I moved to Silicon Valley to, for Y Combinator. He goes, I wouldn't have to move if I started Rose Rocket again. Just because there is, and and there's no doubt you can get some technology. You're you're importing technologist every day to Toronto. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the community in Waterloo, like which is just a just over an hour drive from mm-hmm. Toronto, is is world class in terms of the engineering talent they have there. It's the biggest financial city in Canada. So, I I agree. As a Canadian, it uh, it hurts me to say that Toronto is definitely the capital right now in terms of. Startups. We do have a team there as well for plug and play on the ground in Toronto. We won a major grant in Alberta, and I'm obviously from Vancouver, so we're trying to do more there as well. And and you and you started to mention Arkansas uh, again. University of Arkansas, one of the very best supply chain schools, and that whole region, Northwest Arkansas. My sister lived overseas for many years, just moved back to Michigan, and her and her husband were in China, two locations: South Africa, Brazil, Mexico. She goes whenever you meet someone. They always say, I'm from Northwest Arkansas. She goes, it's like a separate little state that they have over there. <laughs> oh, 100%. And, and I was the one who actually discovered Arkansas for plug and play. I remember we got invited by the dean of the university, Matt Waller. And nice. I mean, he's, he's kind of the leader of, a lot, I think, a lot of that at the university in supply chain management. And he's been a, an amazing guy to work with. This is the, the rise of the rest. Exactly. And there's a fund also called Rise of the Rest. But but yeah, they invited me, I remember, years ago and, and to come speak at their supply chain conference. And I was blown away. Like Walmart, Tyson Foods, J.B. Hunt are all there in Bentonville, Northwest Arkansas area. Arc Best is there Arc, too. Arc Best is there, just like an hour or, or two drive in Fort Smith. And there's all the CPG companies. So, I mean, the, the Walmart forces their suppliers to also set up an office there. So every CPG company has a, has a strong presence there as well. 
but but I mean, yeah, that's a that's a major hub. So so definitely we can connect uh, people and, and have a, a great team on the ground there in, in Arkansas. And some of our biggest supporters are from Arkansas as well. So like we definitely see that as a as a kind of a key kind of focal point. But I'll take some credit, direct or indirect. When Gartner named University of Arkansas the number one supply chain university, it was actually they've been on, they've been on the podcast. It was okay, nice. Yeah, it was a, it was a year after they partnered with us at Plug and Play in Arkansas. So I I'm not going to say it was because of us, but um, we definitely hopefully helped a little bit. And I mean, it's an amazing community, and and they're so well recognized for their supply chain program. My buddy Ron Richardson, who's now the Chief Revenue Officer at OneRail in, in introduced me to the guys at University of Arkansas. I'm trying to think. Donnie, Donnie Williams, I think I, I interviewed Yeah, we know podcast. him really well. And yeah. Ron Richardson's son goes to University of Arkansas. And yeah, I just interviewed Ron again. So made that introduction for me. And I love what we did. We did a podcast. Maybe I'll put a link to it, but it was uh, Supply Chain Lessons from Northwest Arkansas with Donnie Williams. Yeah, no, that's super cool. We know him really well. We've worked with him and, and the, the whole university for years. And I mean, they're such a great entrepreneurial university. Like they're very pro kind of working with, with startups and and getting their students into the, the CPG programs with Walmart and, and everything. It's it's a it's a great it's a definitely a hub for sure. I know I know we called today's podcast Silicon Valley in a box, but what's interesting about it is we're talking about obviously if you're in Silicon Valley right now, but we we all know there's innovation happening everywhere. It doesn't have to be just in Silicon Valley. We can all kind of follow the lead of Silicon Valley and say yeah, I want what they have. <laughs> yeah, and that's why Plug and Play has said Silicon Valley in a box for many years because at the end of the day, like Silicon Valley is moving everywhere, right? And a lot of entrepreneurs, like the founder of Evernote, for example, just moved to Arkansas. People are moving. Uh, people are working that, more remote. That happened right by my house. Ann Arbor is a big technology hub just because of the kids who are graduating out of University of Michigan. And by the way, I'm sure lots of universities can say that, but... There was a, a venture capitalist who came back to University of Michigan, and he said, "Stay home, stay here, grow this, grow your companies here in Ann Arbor." And one of one of the unicorns that grew out of Ann Arbor was Duo, and they got bought. And what was interesting is when they got their first rounds of funding, the, the VC said, "Now you got to move. Come on, you got to move here." And they're like, "I'm going to move to Silicon Valley so I can hire a whole bunch of kids from the Midwest." I'm right in Ann Arbor. And by the way, it's like way cheaper and easy to live here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. And and every company is having that conversation now. Like, am I fully remote? Are people coming back in person? Yeah, we have actually companies move where people said, I'm from Michigan and I'm moving back to Ann Arbor. And even VCs move there because and, – and it's not a flood, but it's just a trickle. And I think that's all it takes is – for you know, for some people to have some success and say, yeah, you know, and I have to say, I always say this: Indianapolis, nobody talks about it enough. Pittsburgh, we don't talk about it enough. All these cities have juggernauts there that we just they just kind of in in the in the background do great things. Oh, Chattanooga, of course. <laughs> yeah, Ch- yeah, and we know Freightwaves really well. Like, yeah, of course, yeah. Craig from Freightwaves, and I mean, there's a ton of startups popping up there. They're they're popping up all over the world. Like, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley. The the highest percentage is in Silicon Valley. So we can all learn. We can all learn from Silicon Valley. 
Yeah, but but there's definitely a lot of movement and people are moving out more and more out of Silicon Valley. That's 100% sure. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to your website and any other links you give me. If you have any explainer videos or any of that, I'll put a link to those. And so people can reach out and say, hey, Mike, we want to be on we want to be on that list. We want to be one of those companies getting introduced to the big guys or maybe big guys saying, we need some innovation. Help us out, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in both. So anyone who is an entrepreneur that wants to connect to large corporates, anyone that's a corporate trying to connect to the startups or people in between. I mean, we also work with a lot of advisors. We work with uh, investors. We work with anyone that can be involved in that ecosystem. So uh, we, we talk to a lot of folks and, and plug and play as teams for dealing with different people in the innovation ecosystem. So happy to connect the right people as well. I love it. I love it. So Mike, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview on my podcast? Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll probably choose one of our partners to, to good, recommend. Good. And the one one that I came to mind as we were talking was uh, Prologis, because I know Prologis, you're doing a lot okay. kind of with, with different warehousing companies, and, and uh, they're a Silicon Valley company. Uh, they're based in San Francisco. They're the largest owner of industrial warehouses in the world. So I'd recommend maybe talking to Will O'Donnell from Prologis. He's one of Will our do. long-term Love partners. It. I've been saying there's so much change. We just talked about our friends over at Ryder. And again, Gary Allen looking at 250 different innovations that over the last 18 months. He has a team that's evaluating these, working with companies like yours. And that tells you this is not the warehouses, the dark, dirty warehouse that you walked through <laughs> 10 years ago. These are This has become a high-tech business. And what I think also is happening is we're starting to see specialization in warehousing. So there's going to be somebody who says, we do cold chain. I just talked to um, guys from Bulu, Paul Jarrett. We only do subscription boxes. I talked to Red Stag, uh, Red Stag Fulfillment. They only do big and bulky small parcels, right? And I think we're going to start to see more and more of that niche or niche, whatever you want to call it, warehouse that says, no, we don't do everything. And I think the one of the biggest problems we're seeing in warehousing right now is customer acquisition costs have gotten really high. But I think we're also seeing that it, the bad fit customers are a problem. When everyone was growing, they said, yes, yes, we can do that. Yes, we can do that. And then after a while, they go... Dude, you gotta go. <laughs> You're, yeah. You don't fit. You are you are not a good fit for us. Someone else can help you more. <laughs> no, it makes sense because especially nowadays, you have to be focused, right? You can't have, have every every customer all the time. You have to be strategic, and and I mean it's the same thing with startups. Like uh, that is well. that is that is the problem. Every e-commerce company that starts up, they want they want a warehousing company. Well, the warehousing companies can't usually service those small guys very well. We need a we need a warehousing segment that just says we work with the we're going to act almost like a little VC ourselves. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Prologis has their VC arm, and I mean they they're one of the best in the game for investing in logistics startups. Like they were early investors in Flexport. I've had them on the podcast. Excellent company. Yeah, incredible growth with them. They're another Silicon Valley base now. What became a freight forwarder and really impressive to see what they're doing. Um, Flex, for example, another. Yep, I just interviewed Carl. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's another cool one. 
they did a bunch of really successful ones. So uh, yeah, uh, you could just uh, you could just go on their website and, and see all of them. But and same thing with us. Feel free to look on our website and, and see our, our investments. And there, I mean, there's just so much out there. And I mean, since I started the supply chain program in 2017, the amount of venture capital that's gone into the market is gone up it went up 6x from 2017 it needed it though man it it felt like this industry was behind not so long ago and now it feels high tech and again i don't think i say this all the time to young people you wouldn't be in this business 10 years ago yeah 100 percent. it's it's a new market and and it's cool and i mean that's like i've known pam from manifest for for a long time oh yeah yeah of course that's how i got involved at, at that conference and i mean there's there's a lot of these new conferences and, and the industry is maturing and, and there's more opportunity and I, I think it's a long term trend. Like supply chains are not going away. We all know that, but technology is gonna be a differentiator for a lot of logistics companies and trucking companies and it's an exciting place to be. Mike, I just interviewed just before you I interviewed uh Yossi Sheffi from MIT. Nice. And yeah, yeah. he wrote another book, his ninth, and he was talking about generative AI. I will I'll have to learn to pronounce that as it becomes more important. But yeah, yeah. Everyone's going to be talking about it. That's 100%. Yeah, we're going to have to shorten it. Maybe it's just GAI. <laughs> yeah. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your company's website and any other links you give me. And I really appreciate you taking the time. And again, it was I really enjoyed that we, we spent a long time together at Manifest wandering around. I saw you. I think the last time I saw you, we went to the Nelly concert and yeah. I saw you oh, right man. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that was too much fun. That... Actually, I was with Gary Allen and the f- folks from Ryder. I was walking around and Gary goes, what are you doing, Joe? I go, just here to pick up the kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> I felt like I was a dad showing up to pick up the kids at the concert. He goes, come with us. And they, Ryder had, they had the, the VIP area. They sponsored. Yeah, yeah. They, so they were on yeah. the side of the stage. And I was like, yes, this is where I belong. With yeah, the Ryder yeah. folks. At the, at the crazy Nelly conference. I never would have predicted it. Like having the whole logistics industry just at – but it, it was super fun, and that was really cool. That well, Manifest, by together. the way, if you guys are, have not been to Manifest, they had their second year. It was fantastic. It's in Vegas. It's going on the same week ne- next year as the as the Super Bowl. Super Bowl's on Super Sunday, obviously. They'll be earlier in the week. But highly recommend you get to that conference. What other conferences will we see you guys at, Mike? Yeah, we're, we're at a lot of the big ones in logistics. I think Manifest is one of the, the biggest ones overall. Um, every year we do, obviously, the, the more general ones like CES. Um, we have our own conference as well. Uh, that oh, when is that? I'd recommend. So that's early June, June like 6th, 7th, 8th, uh, that time frame. So if anyone wants to come to Silicon Valley, um, our headquarters, we have our massive event there. What is the name of it? We call it our plug and play summit. So we have like these two summits now per year where we bring together all the different verticals. So it's not just supply chain, but it's it's also retail and, and uh, fintech and insure tech. So I like that there's some overlap because I think that's where people learn. Yeah, exactly. Because and then you can choose kind of what you want to do. And then you bump into other people like from all these different industries and the one one thing that I like is at our conferences is like everyone's coming there to look at innovation. Like, and, and then you'll see like a, another random industry executive. But but you guys can actually learn from each other if you're from a corporate. Like if you're yeah looking for mobility technology from Ford, 
you might bump into the head of innovation at Walmart for supply chain and then some banks, chief information officer. And I mean, you can all talk about like innovation and technology. And, and, and I think when it comes to innovation, you don't know where your next opportunity is going to come from. So you might realize something just speaking to someone from another industry too, or just hearing a startup pitch that be like, Oh, this, this technology and in mobility could actually be applied to supply chain. And I've seen a lot of startups uh, kind of do that. And that's, that's another really cool part of our, our, our events as well. I love it. So if you give me a link to that conference, I'll put it in the show notes and anyone who listens can, can uh, check that out. Yeah, I'll send, I'll send it right after. And then, and then they can just contact me or, or I can connect a team member if they want to register. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Again, it was great meeting you at Manifest and glad to finally have you on my conference. I wanted to interview you at Manifest. I did a few interviews, one with Gary Allen, but uh, it's just, you know, it's it gets funny. busy, one, right? I loved, I loved Manifest, but it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's yeah, so yeah. many people, people are like, Joe, hey, let's, I want to talk to you. I was like, hey, yeah, just a minute. And then then you go home, you're like, I never saw that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm the same way because I've been in the logistics industry since 2017. And you just go to that conference and you just know everyone, right? And it's like a lot of the same people. And, yes, it's and, like a reunion. Just, I'm, I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I don't have time to talk to all these people. And I've, I've, I almost felt bad that way because, but I think everybody kind of has the same experience when there's over 3,000 people, you can't see everybody. Yeah. You're like, almost like walking by, high five, because we're friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though like you're doing something together, like I, I definitely should be meeting with you at the conference. Yeah. Charlie Dahoney said to me when we were there, he goes, I talk to you all the time. I don't need to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, enough of my blather. It was really a pleasure to have you on my podcast. um, And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, I look for, hope to see you at one of these conferences. And thanks again, Joe. This was yep, Definitely this was see me at Next Manifest. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.